Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, my name is Brooks, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, we've been going through this series this summer on the, the parables of Jesus. Jesus would often teach in the form of a parable, which is a story with, with deeper intent, and the scripture says that Jesus was always with a parable, and so in all sorts of different contexts, he would teach with parables, and it would kind of get down into the root of things, into the heart of things, and so we've been looking at a lot of these parables, and all of them are about different things, and um, before we dive into the parable today, I've got two quotes that I want to, I want to see if you can guess who the author of these quotes are, okay? So here's quote number one. I can't go on like this, losing a billion dollars a minute. I'll be broke in 600 years. Okay, think about it. All right, here's the second quote. I made my money on the seas and in the mines and in the cattle wars of the old frontier. I made it by being tougher than the toughies and smarter than the smarties, and I made it square. Okay, what do you think? Think about it. Yes, it's the world's most rich, the richest duck in the world, Scrooge McDuck. Did anybody guess Scrooge McDuck? All right, there we go. Hey, so growing up, there was this show called DuckTales, and I loved DuckTales growing up. And Scrooge McDuck was one of the main characters in DuckTales. And do you remember Scrooge McDuck? He had a money bin. Remember the money bin that Scrooge McDuck had? And as a kid, I remember just my imagination was captured by the idea of a money bin. Because do you remember what he would do? It was just like a skyscraper, and it was filled with all of his gold coins. And do you remember what he would do in his money bin? He would swim, and he would dive into the money bin, and he would swim around and do backstrokes. And I just remember just thinking as a kid how incredible it would be to have a money bin, and you could just swim in all the money that you had. And the funny thing about that show is every episode, it was essentially somebody was trying to steal the money from his money bin, and so he's trying to keep the money in his money bin. And the funny thing also is he never had enough. He always needs more money in the money bin. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for, uh, for over 20 years now, and I have a love-hate relationship with talking about money. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you first the reason why I don't enjoy talking about money. I, I, I don't enjoy talking about money because there was probably, probably some people here today, and you were like, I'm going to invite a guest to church, and I really hope they're not going to talk about money. <laughs> And here we are. Or, you know, there's this perception that from new people, people that aren't, aren't used to, to coming to church, there's this perception that when we gather, we only always talk about money. And you thought, as a guest coming today, you're like, oh, I'm going to church, and I bet they're going to talk about money. Well, here you are. And here I am. <laughs> um, there's also, unfortunately, this perception from, from many people, and, and, it, and it breaks my heart because it's... It's not an accurate perception, but it's, a, but it's a real perception that people have that the church is just a, full of a bunch of charlatans and snake oil salesmen, and we're just trying to leverage guilt and shame to try to get at people's money. And, and so I just, I don't love, I don't at all, one of the reasons why I don't like talking about money is I don't love at all feeding into that perception at all. Um, and, and I just want to pause for a second and just acknowledge that maybe there's some people here, maybe watching online and 
Maybe this is a source of, of pain and, and, and hurt in your life. I, I don't know, maybe you grew up in a church where it was, just, it was just always about money and there was always multiple offerings and there was just, and maybe it felt normal to you as a kid, but maybe in high school or college, you, you realized, I don't, I don't think that's what is, it's supposed to be about. And maybe that's perhaps one of the reasons why you pushed away from church, pushed away from Christianity. And maybe that's a source of woundedness because, or maybe you came from a church that, that really mishandled finances and it was just, you know, for you, I just want you to know, I, I, I see you today. I, I honor you. I, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. And I hate anything that would feed into that perception that maybe our, our culture has about the church and, and about money. On the other hand, I, I enjoy talking about money. Um, on the other hand, I, I enjoy it because there's something about money that, that it it points to deeper things that are happening deeper in our hearts. It's almost like a gauge on your car where it shows you some things happening elsewhere in the car that you, couldn't, you can't see without some digging and your gauges on your car help you see that. It's like money kind of does that for us. Like here's a principle that I think all of us understand and you've experienced in your life. I think this is a principle we can all agree to is that I give my money and you give your money most easily and freely to the things that I love the most. Isn't that true? We all give our money most easily and freely to the things that we love the most. It's just, it's just natural, it just happens. So all of you bow hunters out there, you're thinking about the next season coming up and you're, you're thinking about what you need for this, next, for this next season and you'd better make a budget before you head to Shields or to Cabela's or wherever you're headed because it's just gonna, it's just gonna happen naturally. It's just, it's gonna be easy for you just to spend because it's something that you love and it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's cars or maybe... You know, I don't know what it is. We've got, a, we've got a, a, a four-year-old daughter and she's the cutest thing in the world and we were at a store recently and she found this stuffed animal that was way overpriced and she grabs it and she's look, and she's looks at us and looks at the stuffed animal and looks at us. I mean, and what are you gonna do, you know? I mean, we're gonna shell it out, you know, cause it's just, oh my gosh, she loves it. We, we always give our money most easily and freely to the things that we love the most. It just kind of happens. And the funny thing is that this is exactly what the Bible says about our money. That the Bible talks about money and Jesus talked about money, not because he was trying to get people's money. Jesus wasn't talking about money to try to get it. Jesus talked about money because because God knows something that, that we know too, is that our money is connected to deeper things. It reveals uh, uh, priorities in our lives. It, re- it reveals things that we worship. It reveals things that, uh, it reveals where our true allegiances lie. And so therefore, it's a topic that can sometimes get under the, under the surface that maybe other topics can't. And so in that sense, I enjoy talking about money. And so let me just give you some assurances today, okay? Some of you are thinking, okay, I know where he's headed because I've been to church before. No matter what passage of scripture he reads, he's gonna end, he's gonna end, the sermon is gonna end with give, it's gonna end with generosity, it's gonna end with tithe. We need to tithe. And tithe is kind of a, a Bible slash church word for, for tenth. And it's this principle that, that, Christian, that many Christians have of we give a percentage back of whatever we make back to the church or back to uh, charitable organizations or whatever. We're, we're, we've got a plan for being generous and, and that's, uh, that's what that means. And so if you're thinking, okay, I know where he's landing, here's some assurance that I want to give today, okay? I am not going to end the message with be more generous. I'm not going to end the message with you should tithe. Um, There will not be a second offering at the end of today's message, okay? So just pressure's off. You can relax, take a deep breath. Everything's fine. Um, Here's what I want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you about tithe. I want to talk to you about identifying greed and how Jesus saves us from it. 
identifying greed and how Jesus saves us from it. And I'm not gonna talk about tithe, and the reason why is because, and you probably thought about this, see, I can tithe and still be very greedy. It's interesting if you think about it. The, the reason why I say that is, is we could say, we could say, all right, God, I'm gonna give you 10, but this is my 90, and you don't touch my 90. God, I paid you off, okay? I gave you your 10, that's your 10, but here's our deal, God, is I give you 10, but this is my 90, and you don't touch my 90 because it's mine. You see how we could, we could still have tithing be a part of our, our, of our generosity and bar, be a part of our habits, and still there could be greed creeping around under the surface. And so that's why Jesus didn't talk about t- tithe. That's not what he was pointing towards. Jesus was going to the heart of our greed. Jesus was always going to the heart of our generosity. So that's what I want to talk about today. And that's what this parable that we're going to look at is all about. And what you'll see in this parable is there's, a, you know, Jesus is talking to a group of people and, per, and maybe perhaps in mid-sentence, Jesus gets interrupted by, by a family squabble. There's a, Jesus is, 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 they try to pull him into this family squabble and Jesus kind of squashes it and uses that as a jumping off point to talk, to, to share this parable. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. It's from the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And in chapter 12, this is where this, this, this conversation happens. So we'll start, starting in verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So you can see right away, there's, you see in this culture when like the parents died, all the, all the assets and the inheritance would go to the sons, in particular the, the eldest son. The eldest son would take the lion's share and the rest would get, would get divided between the younger brothers. That's just kind of how that culture worked. And so you can kind of hear, you could read between the lines. There's, maybe this has gotten into the middle of some family relationships, but this is perhaps maybe a younger brother who's not liking the, the size of the inheritance that, that he received. And so he says, Jesus, I want you to get on my side. Will you, please, will you please tell my brother to divide the inheritance fairly with me? I mean, you can see they're, they're trying to pull Jesus in and Jesus doesn't get pulled into it. Here's what he says, verse 14. Friend, he says to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all Greed. Because one's life, listen to this, this is, this is profound and deep. He says, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells them this parable. So we have to stop right here because even from the beginning, before he even gets to the parable, we're learning something about greed. And here's one of the first things we learn about greed is that greed is sneaky. It's sneaky. Notice Jesus' language. He says, watch out, watch out against all kinds of greed. And think about it, Jesus doesn't use that same language with any other, with any other sin, you know? Jesus, at no other point does Jesus say, watch out against lying, or watch out against stealing. The reason why he doesn't use that language with lying or stealing or things like that is because when you're lying or stealing, you pretty much know that you're lying or stealing, you know? I mean, it's kind of obvious, it's kind of at the, it's at the surface. So Jesus doesn't have to say, watch out. But this is a little bit different. Jesus has to say, watch out against all kinds of greed. Pay attention. Because one of the funny symptoms of greed is that it causes this blindness for you that you have the greed. It causes blindness to the greed itself. And so Jesus has to warn us. He says, watch out against all kinds of greed. I, I, I always remember the, the late Tim Keller, he, um, 
he talked about one time he was preparing a series of lectures in, in New York City for a bunch of businessmen and women, and he was gonna do a seven week lecture, seven weeks of lectures on the seven deadly sins. And so he was preparing these lectures for all these, you know, these wealthy, uh, well-to-do businessmen and women. And his wife, Kathy, says to him, hey, I have a prediction. She says, they're all going to be packed to the brim. They're all going to be sold out except for the week on greed. There's not going to be that many people at the week on greed. And Tim Keller was like, do you think so? He's like, no, it surely can't, can't be. But guess what? It's exactly what happened. Every other week was sold out. But greed was very light in attendance because it can tend to be one of those things where it's like, oh, that's not my problem. That's, that's not my thing. But Jesus has to say, watch out. And then what he does with this parable is he tells this parable to help us diagnose this thing that's hard for us to see ourselves. And so he dives into the parable. So he starts, verse 16. A rich man's land was very productive. Okay, we have to stop right there. The story begins with a rich man and his land is very productive. We have to stop right here because it would be easy for us to say, oh, this is a story about a rich man. This is obviously for rich people to listen to. Hey, all you rich people out there, Jesus is going to tell a parable right now, so you rich people better listen up. It's our tendency to be like, I'm obviously not rich, so I hope all those rich people are listening to this parable that Jesus is about to tell. It's very important because here's what we tend to think. We tend to think, I'm not rich. Because I compare myself to other people. And we look at what other people have and we're like, well, obviously I'm not rich. Like those people are rich. We think that this is probably for the Warren Buffetts out there, but I don't really need to listen to this one. And it would be easy for us to just skip on by and think it's for someone else. But it's important for us to pause and just remember something. We have to remember that compared to the rest of the world, most of us here in this room, we are rich. We're rich. I figured it out. If you worked 20 hours a week, just part-time at Softies or Little Caesars, $15 an hour, then that's all the income that was coming in. Just part-time at Softies or Little Caesars, 15, or Little Caesars, 15 bucks an hour. You are still in the top 26 percentile of the richest people in the world. Meaning that 74% of the, of the rest of the world is, is poorer than you are. And so it's important for us to sit back and remember that, you know what, this parable might be directed towards me. And so he continues. So there's this rich man, his land is very productive. And then this man thinks to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store up all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. And this is where we get the, the title of this parable. This is traditionally known as the parable of the rich fool. He says, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then it's like Jesus steps out of the parable for a second and he says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a fascinating phrase, rich toward God. We're gonna come back to it in a few minutes. 
And then he steps completely out of the parable and now he's like, he's, he's in teaching mode and here's what he says, here's how he concludes this parable. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And then he concludes with this incredible principle. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So many things in here. What I see is I see six symptoms of greed that help us just diagnose that potentially this could be lurking around in my heart. Six symptoms of greed. The first symptom that we see from this parable is this, this first one, which is greed is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. I'm sure that when this guy in the story, he, um, I'm sure that when he was a young man, he probably thought, man, if I could just have one barn, I'd be good. You know, I, I would be living the good life if I could just have one barn. But you can see what probably happened. He gets that one barn and then he thinks, man, you know what? I'd be good if I had two barns, then I'd be good. And then, ah, man, if I could just have four barns, I'll be good. And you hear in the story, he's got lots of barns, but now his barns aren't big enough. He needs to tear them down. He needs bigger barns. And it's like it's this progression that happens. And we, we know this progression happens because here's what we know. Here's what you and I know, that rich is a moving target, isn't it? It's a moving target. Even people that are rich don't think that they're rich because it's always just one step ahead. Enough, enough is always just around the corner for us. This is just the world that we live in. We often think, and, and us, t- uh, our family too, sometimes we think, okay, I make this much, but, our, you know, like, but what's coming, going out is this much, and there's like no margin. If I could just make this much, oh, I'd be, we'd be fine. We'd have margin, things would be good, there would be no more stress about finances. But maybe, maybe you get that raise, maybe you get that, but guess what happens? <laughs> this goes up and then it's, oh, if we could only, and then where does that end and where does it end? And, and that's the point, it, it never ends. Rich is always a moving target. Enough is always just around the corner. It's never satisfied. What's interesting is they've done studies or they've done interviews with actors and actresses who win an Oscar. Think about it. If you're an actor or an actress, winning an Oscar is like, it's like the pinnacle of your career, right? I mean, you've made it if you can get that Oscar. And what they've done is they've interviewed celebrities after they've won that Oscar the day after they won it. So the day after, they ask, okay, what what did that do for you? And do you know what overwhelmingly they've discovered? Is that overwhelmingly most most celebrities that have have been interviewed the day after, do you know what they say? They say, I kind of feel empty. It's interesting, isn't it? You think that the Oscar would be, I've made it, and it's like now I'm, but you know what you discover? You finally get there. You finally, I finally have made it, I finally have enough, and then you get it, and the next morning you're like, I'm still me. And now what? Now, now I, I thought it was gonna make me feel significant, but, but I feel empty inside. Cynthia Heimel, the late Cynthia Heimel, she wrote for The Village Voice. Here's what she writes about celebrities. I think it's just interesting and fascinating. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I do. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now 
their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each, each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, that thing had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And then she says this fascinating phrase to conclude. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. It's interesting. It's never enough. It's one of the symptoms of greed is it just wants more and more and more. Here's the next symptom that we see is a false sense of security. We see this in the passage in verse 19. You can see, you can, we can hear this, this guy's self-talk. He says, I've got, now I've got bigger barns and now I'm good. I've got stuff laid out for the future. I'm fine. And there's this false sense of security. He doesn't know that he's about to hear God's voice that says, your life is demanded of you. But he thinks he's fine because it's, it's a tendency for us to wrap our security up in our bank accounts or wrap our security up in, in just our future planning and think, oh, I'm good. And it gives us this false sense of security. Symptom number three is similar to that. It's a false sense of identity. It's a false sense of identity. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 15? It's so, so potent. He says, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Why in the world would Jesus have to say that to us if it wasn't a problem? Because we know that it is. It is a problem. We have a tendency to wrap my significance, my identity, in the stuff that I have. So one of the reasons why the suicide rate skyrocketed in 2008. Do you remember what happened in 2008? It was the financial crash. Just the pressure that that put on people. And then suddenly it's like, man, what do I have to live for? Well, you have tons to live for, but when you wrap your identity and your, and your significance into, in our, into your stuff, then that's dangerous because what if something happens? What if tragedy strikes? What, what if you lose it? Then, then what? Our lives have to be so much bigger than our possessions. And this is what Jesus is saying, but greed often pushes us and tempts us to, to wrap our identities into what we have. The next symptom of greed is it prioritizes riches over relationship. And we can see this in just how the way the whole parable started, right? It, whole start, it started because a guy had, there was a family squabble. Apparently money has gotten in between a group of brothers or two brothers and now it's just divided them. And, and how often has that story played out in, in families' lives over and over and over again? And often greed prioritizes riches over relationships. Symptom number five is stinginess. We see this in the guy's story. In, in this guy's multiplying prosperity, he never stops and thinks about what his money could do for others. Did you notice that? He never stops and says, what could my money do for others? He, he makes the assumption, it's the same assumption that, we, that you and I often make. We make the assumption that what comes to me is for me. It's called the consumption assumption or the possession deception. It's this idea that whatever comes to me is obviously for me. And it's an assumption that we make, but if you think about it, it's a weird assumption to make because perhaps what comes to me isn't for me. Maybe perhaps what comes to me is supposed to be for others. But when we make that assumption that what comes to me is for me, then we, then we, we tend to hold on tight and we, we become stingy. And this is what this guy is, is doing in this story. He's not thinking about others. He's thinking about bigger barns for himself. And then the last symptom is worry, worry. 
We see this in the passage where Jesus has to step out of the parable and he says, remember, he says, don't worry about your life, about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat. Worry can grip us. When, when, when greed is taken hold, then especially when you, when you have stuff and especially when you have a lot of stuff, now it's, how do I keep it? Please, God, make, make sure that nothing happens in the future that's gonna take it and we get worried about what's gonna happen and there's just nights where we can't go to sleep because we're just frustrated and frustrated because that's what often happens when we have things is worry comes along with it. And we don't even need the Bible to tell us this. We know that Biggie and Mace and Puff Daddy told us this in 1997 when they said, more money, more problems, right? <laughs> this isn't new. And so Jesus comes into the middle of it and he brings the cure. In this parable, there's, there's a cure to this, to this greed that can so easily lurk under the surface. And it's really just one thing that Jesus says, but with, with, but with three applications. And here's the one thing that Jesus says. It's this fascinating phrase. He says, be rich toward God. Rich toward God. And it invites us to ask the question, okay, but what does that mean? What does that mean? It's interesting that in this parable, the, he's, this rich guy is called a fool, not because he's rich. There's nothing wrong with, with having wealth and being rich. That's not the problem. And he's not called a fool because he's planning for the future. That's not why he's called a fool. It's, it's smart to plan for the future. He's not called a fool because he's saving and he has a process for saving. No, that's not why he's foolish. All those, those things are, are, are fine and it's good to have a plan and it's good to think about the future and it's good to save. Those are wise habits to build into our financial lives. That's not why he's called a fool. He's called a fool because in the midst of his prosperity, he doesn't ever stop and invite God into the process. He, he never stops and thinks bigger than himself. And he never stops and thinks about bigger than just that moment that he's in. He never stops and ponders eternity. And so the point of the parable is really clear. The point of the parable is this. Don't live and die rich in the world, but be poor towards God. That in a sense, I could be rich in this world and yet at the same time be bankrupt and be bankrupt. That's the point of the parable, is don't, don't live and die rich in this world, but be poor towards God. And so it begs the question, then how do I be rich towards God? There's three things I think in this parable that Jesus shows us about how to be rich towards God. So the first step is this. The first thing we have to do is we have to wake up to the brevity of this life, and we have to wake up to the eternity of the life to come. We have to wake up to the brevity of this life and ponder the eternity of the life to come. Um, this, this rich man, was, was his security was brought down by one sentence from God. One sentence from God. He thinks everything's fine. He goes to bed thinking that he knows exactly what's gonna happen tomorrow. Tea time is at 6 a.m. the next morning. I mean, he's, just, he, he's got a plan, but yet one sentence brings it all down. And it's the same sentence that you and I are gonna hear at some point. God says, today, tonight your life is required of you. And then all these things that you worked for and stored, whose will they be? It's only by embracing the brevity of life that we begin to understand that this life is short and yet at the same time, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then that means that I don't just have this life, 
that there's a life to come, that eternity is involved. You can look at the book of Proverbs and the book of of Psalms, and there's multiple places in there where it talks about the beginning of wisdom starts with us numbering our days, remembering that our days are short, and yet eternity is long. And if we could just pause and just think about that for a minute, have some perspective, it opens up just whole new worlds. Because there's a lot of philosophies out there. There's a lot of philosophies that want to teach us that this life right now is all that we have. It's, this is it. There is no afterlife. There is no eternity. This is all that there is. And so you better make the most of it. You better find your significance in it. And here's the problem with that philosophy. It breaks down so quickly because if this is all that we have, if this life is all that there is, well, then here's what we're going to all be tempted to do is we're going to be tempted to just, I've got to squeeze as much pleasure as I can out of this life that I have. I have very short time, so I'm not going to say no to anything. I've got to say yes to everything because this is it. This is my window. And I'm going to squeeze out of my relationships, try to get all the significance that I can in this life. I'm going to squeeze out of my profession and my job, trying to to secure myself significance and identity in this life. And I'm going to try to just squeeze every penny I have and maximize everything. And what I'm going to end up doing, you see the problem, I'm going to put so much pressure on everything to fully and finally satisfy me now because this is the only time I have. And it's going to cause me to hold on to everything tightly. It's going to cause me to not be generous. I'm going to have to hold it in because it's like, but no, because I need to maximize everything. And that just leads, that leads to fear. That leads to bondage to our stuff. If this is it, then I'm going to just try to squeeze everything out of it now. And listen, those things can't fully and finally satisfy me in this life. Rich is always just around the corner. Enough is just always around the corner. I can't ever do it. And if I, if I don't understand that, if I don't understand that, no, this isn't the only life that I have. There's, there's, there's eternity to come. If heaven truly is real, if, if that really is true, then you know what it does? It takes the pressure off. Like, I don't have to try to squeeze every ounce of significance out of this little time that I have in my life. Because you know what? Because I don't have to. It, 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 I can't fully and finally be satisfied anyway. I can only fully and finally be satisfied by Jesus and the life that he's going to offer. So you know what that does? That frees me. Now I can live with my fingers not gripped tight. I can open them up. I don't feel this pressure anymore. Now I can say no to things now because I know that my no now is an absolute yes in the future. It's a better yes in the future. That I can say no to things now because what I'm actually saying is yes to something even better. And what a freedom that brings. That's beautiful. And it starts with just contemplating, man, life is short. Life is short. But the good news is I don't have to squeeze it all in now. Eternity is coming. Here's the next thing. Number two is this. None of it is yours. And all of it is yours. None of it's yours, and yet all of it's yours. Let me explain. On one hand, you can see in this parable that this guy definitely views himself as an owner of all of his stuff. You can see it in his language. This is my stuff. It's my barns. I need more stuff. It's my future. It's just mine, 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 mine. And he views himself as, as an owner. And that, what, what that comes with is a lot of pressure because now it's like it's all yours and you've got to own it. You gotta maximize it, you gotta do something with it. But if you're a Christ follower, here's what we believe, is we believe that because God made it, out of just his sheer grace, that I get to be not an owner, but a, but a manager. We, we like to use the word steward. I get to be a steward. 
that none of it's mine anyways. And that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful principle. That's a beautiful idea because now it's, now it's not on me to have to be the owner. No, 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 he's the owner and now I just get to be a great manager of what he's given me. And that takes the pressure off. That's beautiful. It's what we believe as Christ followers. So you're, you don't own any of it. It's all his. And yet, if you think about it though, in Christ, all of it's yours. All of it's mine. Did you notice this, this verse? It's tucked away. It's easy for us to just read right through. But there's this verse right here, verse 32, and it's slowly becoming one of my favorite verses. Because I was always taught growing up that you shouldn't mix metaphors, but Jesus in this one verse beautifully mixes three. He mixes three metaphors, and they, they constitute the trifecta of assurance. Jesus says, first of all, I am the shepherd. I'm the watchful shepherd. I know my sheep. I love my sheep. I'm there to protect my sheep. And not only is he the watchful shepherd, but then he's also the loving father. The loving father that loves his kids. He wants to provide for his kids. And he's not only the watchful shepherd and the loving father, but he's also the eternal king of the kingdom. And the watchful shepherd, the loving father, and the king delights to give you the kingdom. And if it's really true that when we follow Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, that we become heirs, we become sons and daughters, we're, we're adopted into the family, and that means we, we, become, we become recipients, we become heirs of, of the whole kingdom. And so in a way, none of it's yours. None of your stuff is yours. You are just a steward. And yet, in a way, it's almost as if like everything on this world, because we're sons and daughters of the king, in a way, it's like all of it's ours. And can you see what that will start to do in your heart when you don't have this scarcity where I've got to get and I've got to get, when you realize that in a way, all of it's mine, and so I don't have to strive and try to get it all because in a way, because I'm the Lord's, because I'm in him and he's in me, it's like, it's like I own all things. Do you know, you know this, when is the worst time to go grocery shopping? When's the worst time to go grocery shopping? When is it? When you're hungry, right? We know this. Because when you go to the grocery store and you're hungry, what do you do? You're just grabbing stuff. You're like, what is this? I don't even know. It looks good, you know? And like, what? I don't know. And you're just, you're putting tons of stuff in your basket because you're hungry. And then you're spending way much, way too much money. This is not in your budget. And then you go home and you're like, and then after you eat, you're like, why did I get this? Like, I don't want this. And it's almost as if like when we walk around in our lives and we have this scarcity mindset where it's like, oh, I need, I need, I need, I need to get stuff. And so we just live our lives and we're so susceptible to the ads and we're so susceptible to the, 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 the lies that are coming from everywhere saying, you need to get this to be significant. You need to be that, get that to get significant, to be significant in this life. And then we just start just hoarding and we start getting stuff. And what if, what if we could walk around with this hilarious secret tucked away in our heart that none of it is mine and yet all of it's mine it's like I'm full I'm rich and so I don't have to be shackled to those advertisements I don't have to be shackled to the messages that are coming from everywhere that's saying that I need that or need that I, I'm I'm free because I'm good I'm a child of the king here's the last thing that Jesus says he wants us to know he says let the gospel, let the good news about Jesus give you a secure identity that riches or poverty can't shake. Let the gospel give you a secure identity that riches or poverty can't shake. If you think about it, Jesus was the richest 
person to ever live. If you think about it, Jesus is the richest person to ever live. Because when you create something, it's yours. It's all yours. So Jesus is, and, and Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He's there when creation is made and Jesus is, is the owner of all things. And so in that sense, Jesus is the richest person on the planet. And do you know what Jesus chose to do? With all that riches, with all, with all that wealth, you know what he chose to do? See, he could have come down to be with us and he could have come to a castle. I'm Jesus, I'm important. He could have come to a castle. Did he come to a castle? No, he came to a manger. Listen, I, I, I hope you see this. I, ho- I want you to ponder this. He didn't come to a castle. He came to a manger. He didn't come riding in, on a Mustang. He came riding on a donkey. He didn't come to stay in a double tree. He come and, and he came and he slept under a tree. <laughs> Jesus came and he didn't demand that we wash his feet. Jesus left all of, that, all of those riches and he said, no, 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 let me wash your feet. How incredible is this, that the, that the wealthiest person to ever live decided that the most valuable thing is securing a relationship with you and with me. If you can grasp that, if we can grasp that, then it will transform the root of our greed and it'll transform the root of our generosity. Jesus is rich. And you know what, he, you know what he's rich in? So the scripture says that Jesus is rich in grace and mercy. Do you know what that means? That means that there is not one of your sins, past, present, or future, that holds more power than the cross of Jesus. None. He is rich in grace and mercy. Scripture says that Jesus is rich in love. You know what that means? It means that you are worse off than you possibly even fathom, and yet at the same time, you are more loved than you could possibly dream. You are rich because our Heavenly Father is rich. This is how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. I love how Paul says it. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Not rich with money. No, rich with identity. You are loved. You don't need stuff to do that for you. When you understand that you are loved, regardless of your income, regardless of your past, regardless of of, of your performance, anything, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. Suddenly that thing in us that needs stuff to give us an identity, suddenly that becomes replaced. It gets pushed to the side. And it gives us an identity that riches or poverty cannot shake. Jesus did that for you and for me. And I pray that it would get to the heart of our greed and that it would get to the heart of our generosity. I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for this parable. And Lord, I just, just as we, as we conclude, I just want to, I want to invite you just to come into this space in our hearts where it's so easy for us to hold back from you. In fact, just kind of just as we're in this the space of, of prayer. I just want to talk to those of you, you're here in the room or you're watching online and, and maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And the funny thing, the kind of the ironic thing is we, we, it's like we, we feel confident trusting Jesus with our eternity, 
but we don't feel confident trusting him with, with our stuff. It's like we've said, Lord, I trust you with my eternity, but yet this part of my life, I'm nervous. I, I, it's hard for me to trust. And so, Lord, I just pray. And just, no matter where we are in our, in, our, in, our, in our journey, in our walk with you, Lord, would you just come into the nooks and crannies of our hearts and would you just speak to our hearts in, the, in this area? And Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear your voice, your voice that is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? I'm not after your stuff. I'm after your heart. I want to set you free from this thing that so easily entangles, that is so hard for us to diagnose and see. I want to set you free from your dependence on stuff. I want to set you free from greed so that you can walk around in this life with open hands, open arms, open eyes, open hearts, so we can just live free. I'm not shackled to the things of this life that so easily pass away, that our identities aren't tethered to things that will rot and things that will fade and things that will pass away. But Jesus says, I want you to root your identity in something that cannot be shaken. And it cannot be shaken by a recession. It can't be shaken by, by a tragedy. It can't be shaken because your identity is rooted in the thing that will not change. And that is my love of you. My love for you. It is unshakable. It is unfathomable. It is unmovable. Lord, I pray that we would tether our identities and our hopes and our significance to that. And in doing that, Lord, that we would be free. Lord, I pray that you would help us do that, help us see it, set us free, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.